0: Welcome to the State of Research podcast, brought to you by the Office of the Vice President for Research at Colorado State University. I'm your host, Mason Force, and with this podcast, I hope to bring to light the world-renowned research that takes place here at CSU. This is the State of Research. Food preservation, archaeology, and forensic investigation, what do they have in common? Just ask Dr. Jessica Metcalf, whose extensive research into the gut microbiome and decomposition tie all these fields and more together. Dr. Metcalf's work for the Department of Animal Sciences has applications from meat packing to the justice system, and she joins us today to discuss her research. Thanks again for agreeing to meet with me. Could you just reiterate, in a general manner, uh, the scope of what you do here at CSU as far as your research goes?
1: Sure, I have a very broad research program.
0: I do a lot of stuff.
1: <laughs> That's right. So I use genetic tools to study microorganisms, mm-hmm. and because microbes are everywhere. I could basically study anything, and so I'm particularly interested in host-associated microbes, so things like microbes associated with animal life, which is why I'm in the animal sciences department. So my research projects, they span anything from meat science-related projects to built environment-related projects, so what's what are we leaving behind in spaces and what are we picking up in different spaces? to one of the main cores of my research, which is the microbial ecology of decomposition, which I use in a a forensics context. And so I do quite a bit of microbe-related forensics types of research as well.
0: Does that entail like human remains at all? Or I think forensic science, like um, CSI TV shows or something like that.
1: Right, actually it is pretty CSI-like, the the work that we do in, in this group. One of the things I'm interested in is during decomposition, say, of a vertebrate or a mammal, Mm -hmm. the microbial community changes. um, And it's, it's one of the drivers of decomposition. So what we study in my group is how this could potentially be used as a clock to estimate how long a person has been dead. And so we do work with human remains through collaborations. And so we work with a number of anthropological research facilities. These are sometimes called body farms, so they're places where people can donate their body after death and become part of a forensic science experiment and part of a long-term anthropological remains collection.
0: Do they essentially just leave the bodies out and examine how they decompose over time?
1: Right, so depending on the experiment, depending on the question, for most of our experiments, they have bodies that are placed outside, and we just let them decompose, and we're sampling the microbes off of their skin and the nearby soil, for example, for like the first three weeks of decomposition. And then we profile all those microbes, and what we see is that it's very clock-like how those microbes change. And that allows us to build a model using machine learning approaches that then can estimate how long a person's been dead just based off of a swab of a skin of a deceased person.
0: Do you remember the first time you actually saw some? I do. It was, It must have been striking, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things is we're so grateful to the donors mm-hmm. in those facilities. I mean, this is this is a really unique resource for science. It's very respectful, and there's a lot of recognition to the donor and their donor families for being part of this scientific research. And these mm-hmm. are really important anthropological collections for physical anthropologists who do a lot of the, you know, identifying of remains and trying to say what age and what race and things like that. So these bodies become really, really important and essential collection of modern human bones.
0: Yeah. I I don't know how else you'd get that kind of data. Yeah. So would you be able to say with confidence that you can date pretty much any human remains or what are the the limits of dating?
1: That's a great question. (laughs) So Right now, I mean, where we've started is in certain time frames. Okay. Hmm. So most bodies are discovered sooner than later. And so we sort of start with the zero to three weeks is kind of where we've started um, with this tool. And right now, um, our estimates are as accurate as plus or minus three days over 21 days, which is pretty close. Yeah, Yeah. which is definitely useful, particularly after the first week when there's really not as many tools available. Mm -hmm. The first 24 to 48 hours are other Approaches that mm-hmm. can be used, such as like temperature of the body, temperature of the organs, that type of thing. But then as you go out further and further mm-hmm. into decomposition and after death, the number of tools that, crim- that forensic scientists have becomes less and less and they become less and less accurate. So sometimes there's insects and they can give you some information, uh, but there's not always insects and um, it's not that easy to get Mm. very accurate results from insects either. Um, and so having this additional tool of microbes can be, co- be used as a complement um, to other tools or it can be used when other tools aren't available.
0: Wow. Okay. How exactly did you become interested in this?
1: Um, I'm just a creepy person. I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> um, no, actually, so how I got interested in this particular Research project, and I think it's a good example mm-hmm. of how science can lead you down unexpected paths. Mm-hmm. Is um so I have a background actually in vertebrate genomics. So before working on microbes associated with animals, I actually worked on animal genomics, and I did a postdoc on using uh, with ancient DNA, and so. Mm-hmm. I've, I've worked on, for example, the genomics of extinct megafauna from the last ice age oh, wow. and things like that. And so I became interested in the gut microbiome. So one of the most important ecologies that we study with, with microbial ecology of hosts is the gut because the gut is really important and it's inhabited by thousands of different types of microbes. doesn't matter if you're a cat, a human, a, a worm. You all have microbes that mm-hmm. are helping you digest. And so with some collaborators, we became really interested in whether we could reconstruct the microbiome of both past animals that are extinct now and also past human populations. If we could find really well-preserved fecal material Because that's usually how we reconstruct the microbiome of the gut, Hmm. is through fecal samples, because it's really easy and non-invasive. It's much easier than poking a hole in your colon and trying to get a sample.
0: Right, I can imagine. (laughs) And
1: so actually, that project, which kind of then brought me into the microbiome world, is really what got me interested in questions about what is the microbial community of decomposition? And because I needed to understand that to really be able to push that project forward. And so understanding how microbes are involved in decomposition of various animal parts is kind of how I got interested and involved in this forensics type of work. So okay yeah kind of a wayward but that's you know that's that's science. You Mm -hmm. you work on a particular tool you work with a particular tool or a particular set of types of questions but they can be applied to all Mm -hmm. different systems. And so that's one of the things that keeps science really exciting for me.
0: That's great. So what, what is the application of this kind of research? Is it like we were talking about mainly for crime scene investigation? Or are right. there some bigger questions you're trying to answer to?
1: Right. So for that forensic science research where we're trying to build a clock to estimate the time since mm-hmm. death, that's very much meant for the justice system. And so we're starting to take the steps now working with... Um, practitioners in the justice system to try to incorporate this Mm -hmm. and get it tested and validated by crime labs to try to actually move it from academics into into the real world. This project and this line of research is a major focus of my lab, but we we do work on other things as well. For example, more relevant to animal sciences, we work on quite a, a range of For example, either meat science or host health type of microbiome projects. The meat sciences projects are probably the closest to the forensics type of project where we're trying to understand the microbial ecology of spoilage, Hmm. which is similar to the microbial ecology of decomposition. It's just in this case we're trying to stop it. Okay, And so we're trying to understand how can we extend shelf life of meat? How can we better predict the shelf life of meat?
0: So like preservatives and freezers, whatnot?
1: Yeah, what, what are these different interventions that we treat hmm. meat with? How effective are they and what are they doing to the microbes? And can that help us understand you know, why they may not be effective sometimes or why we may not be as good at predicting shelf life or expiration dates as we want to be? In the US, we throw away an incredible amount of food. Mm -hmm. And so, part of this line of research is trying to find better ways for us to not waste food. And one of them is having this understanding of shelf life and, and also how to improve it.
0: All right. What excites you about your research? Are you discovering things that you didn't know about consistently?
1: Absolutely. I Mm. think that's one of the really exciting Mm. things about microbiome research Mm. or studying the microbes associated with, like I said, anything, Mm -hmm. um, including animals, is there's so much we don't know. Mm. And so it's only been kind of really the past decade where we could use genomic tools to really characterize a full microbial community and its diversity and its function because of the amount of information That was needed and so we just didn't have this sequencing technology just wasn't there before about a decade ago and so we've learned so much in the last decade and there's still so much to learn I'm really excited about working in the College of Agriculture because there's so many awesome questions that we're just beginning to ask that can be answered with these types of of tools And, you know, I gave you an example of a meat science one, but we're also working a lot with, for example, the fistulated cattle that we have here and understanding how different interventions or micronutrients or probiotics or or various different treatments affect the health of animals and then being able to understand the role of the microbes in that by being able to sample, for example, the rumen. So if you don't know, a fistulae kettle has a hole in the side with a plug.
0: I've seen and a picture can, of that. Okay. Yeah, so
1: there's a picture of my website with my hand all <laughs> the way into the rumen of a cattle. And so there's a lot of really neat opportunities here at CSU.
0: How did you end up at CSU in particular? What about the university spoke to you?
1: Well, I think the front range in general is a great kind of hotbed for microbiome research. There's a lot of great researchers. And the thing that was really appealing about Colorado State University is that the university is investing in microbiomes. And so I was part of a cluster hire of Mm -hmm. six faculty, six tenure-track faculty. And so we kind of have this cohort, this group of microbiome scientists, and we all work on different things, and we all use slightly different tools that are very complementary. Some of them are overlapping. We have different expertises, which is really cool because that makes us sort of we're stronger together you know we can do more different types of research together and so Mm -hmm. one of the things we're working on is what big questions can we go after as a group having this strength here at CSU and to me that's really exciting and so one of the outcomes of that is we have an annual symposium now that brings together people from the front range to discuss microbiome science and and sort of push it forward and I think it's really going to make CSU and the Front Range of Colorado kind of known for its expertise in a, being a leader in microbiome science. The other thing I could talk about a little bit is my, I touched on it some, but my ancient gut project, which is...
0: Ancient gut, okay.
1: So as I mentioned, I originally got into studying the decomposition, the microbial ecology of decomposition, because I was interested in the gut microbiome of of ancient humans and extinct animals. And so this is a line of research that I'm still continuing, both looking at well-preserved fecal material from places like Vikings, um, rock shelters in Mexico. We have um, quite a few cool samples that have preserved at least a little bit of the host microbiome. And so that is helping us start to reconstruct what humans had in their gut before we lived in industrialized places where we took a lot of antibiotics. Yeah. Um, we spent a lot of time inside. We have high levels of hygiene, and our diets are very different. They have a lot less fiber. So So I'm interested in this question overall of sort of what what did an ancestral human gut microbiome look like, and how is it different to what, for example, American gut microbiomes look like today? Okay. And so I work on that both looking at ancient material, but also I've worked with a number of groups studying the gut microbiome of human populations living today, but living more traditional type of lifestyles. So I've worked with a number of collaborations looking at the hunter-gatherer gut microbiome, for example, and other more sort of remote farmer or fishing village populations, um, mostly in Peru. And so that's an area of interest that I'm also pursuing to try to understand sort of what we've done to our gut microbiome and how, mm. how big of a deal is that.
0: And when you say gut microbiome, are you referring to what was the diet of these people? Is that really the only influencer? I don't uh,
1: so, yeah, when I say gut microbiome, um, I'm talking about the microbes that live mostly in your large intestine. Mm-hmm. And there are about three pounds of them. On average, so that's a lot. Yes. And they do things um, that you can't do from your genome. So we kind of call that, we often refer to the gut microbiome as as your second genome or the human microbiome as your second genome because what those microbes are providing to you are a second set of genes Hmm. that are expressed and utilized in your body, but they're not your host genes. You're not going to pass them down to your children. And so, in fact, 99% of the unique genes in your body are actually microbial. So not 99% of the genes in your body, but of the unique genes. Those microbes do things like help you synthesize vitamins that you don't have the genes yourself. Mm. Okay, and so the gut microbiome is very important. We know it's really important for modulating your immune system when you're young, training your immune system, I mean, we're really just scratching the surface understanding how important the gut microbiome is. We know that it plays an important role in also interacting with sort of of neurons, and so they can have an effect on your mental health as well. That's a really hot area of research right now.
0: That's surprising.
1: (laughs) I think having a basic understanding of what was the human gut microbiome like for um, hundreds of thousands of years before industrialization Mm. is important to understand to give us context for the changes that have happened recently in the gut microbiome of those microorganisms living in our gut that are likely caused by things like antibiotics, diet, our hygiene, li- spending most of our time indoors as mm-hmm. opposed to interacting with the, the soil and the environment, so, and being born C-section, for example. Oh, really? That's a big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your first real dose of microbes of all, for all mammals is when you come through the birth canal. Mm. So what, So there's been quite a bit of research of you know what, what happens if you come out C-section. Mm. Um, you get a different starting community of microbes. Does mm. that have health effects?
0: And I suppose the Vikings weren't exactly born in sterile hospitals either. <laughs> no. So,
1: <laughs> no. so there's, a, there's a lot of interesting mm. questions mm-hmm. and, and sort of understanding it. As an evolutionary biologist, which is mm. what my Ph.D. training is in, you know, I have a lot of interest in understanding sort of how the changes between Mm -hmm. our relationship with microbes and also animals' relationships. I'm also interested in domestication and how that might have affected the relationship between the animal and microbes. And so these are questions that I think are important. They're kind of like big fundamental research questions, but I think they provide a really good context and, and basic science for trying to make all these manipulations for health for both humans mm. and for domesticated animals.
0: So all the changes that have happened over the last couple thousand of years, you know, the antibiotics and the staying inside and the hygiene, would you say it's had a overall positive or negative effect on our microbiome, or is that too much of a conclusion to draw?
1: Well, I think that's an excellent question. I think what we know mm-hmm. is that overall it's had a really good effect on our health, right? Like we live a lot longer now than we did 200 Mm -hmm. years ago. So let's not forget that. Mm -hmm. But just because we live longer and we're overall healthy doesn't mean that every change has been good for our microbiome and good for our health. And so, for example, in the U.S., we have a much higher incidence of things like allergies, autoimmune diseases, cancers. And so the suspicion is that maybe some of that is this sort of miscommunication, mistraining of our immune system with our microbes because we're, we're not really exposed to microbes in the same way we were through most of our evolution. And so I think it's a great question, and it's a complicated one, and it's certainly not one where we say, oh, we all need a microbiome like a hunter-gatherer. That, that's, that's not going to be the answer. Mm-hmm. But understanding sort of what was common across different lifestyles, different diets, different times in, in, on Earth, can help us understand what might be vital so for example if there are microbes that all mammals have and we don't have them now are those important maybe i think it's worth looking at are
0: we missing something (laughs) yeah well dr metcalf thank you so much for meeting with me
1: well thanks so much for the opportunity and if any listeners want to find out more please check out my website at jessicalmetcalf.com have a good one thanks
0: and that's all we have time for today Personally, I found the sheer scope of Dr. Metcalf's research to be extremely impressive. And as always, I hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as I did. Until next time on The State of Research.